today, today we're looking at Colossians 3, 5 through 11. I would like to uh, read this passage. Colossians 3, starting verse 5. Put to death, therefore, what is earthy, earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. This is God's word. Well, many of you are familiar with some of the Brothers Grimm's uh, stories, right? It's a little darker than sometimes they show up in, in Disney, but, but one is the, uh, the Frog Prince. And this is about a prince who, a princess who befriends a frog who magically transforms into a handsome prince. And in the original story, the transformation happens when she's a little disgusted at the frog and slings the frog against a, a wall and he's transformed into a prince. We're more familiar with the popular version, right? Where the princess kisses the frog and uh, he's transformed. Uh, he, with the kiss, he becomes who he truly, who he truly was, right? And, and, and we're kind of drawn to this kind of thing. These are some of the stories, uh, kind of the, it's a theme of some of the stories and fables that, and movies that that we're attracted to. And I think it's because um, it's, it's, in some way, it's the story of us as well. Uh, as believers, we are not now what we will be, right? We are not truly who we appear to be in Christ. We are dead to sin. We are alive to God. We're this new creation that belongs to a heavenly realm, and one day we will be revealed with Christ glorious. This is who we are in Christ, but it is not who we yet appear to be. This reality is not now fully seen. There is work to be done. There is work to be done to work out our true spiritual reality. As Apostle Paul continues his letter to the Colossians, this is what he's beginning to talk about. He's talked a lot about who we are in Christ, but as we come to the passage that we're looking at, he's, he's going to talk about things that need to be put to death to work out our spiritual transformation. In the next passage that Sam will preach on next week, there's, there's things that we need to put on. There's godly character that we need to put on. There's things to put off. There's things to put on to work out our true spiritual reality. In the passage we're looking at, Paul lists two groups of five sins. He, he talks about sins of a sexual nature, and then he talks about sins of the, the heart and of speech that we are to put away. And so we're going to look at these two groups of sin and... Uh, Think about putting this, this sin away. And so first of all, he talks about we, we work out our true spiritual reality by putting to death sexual sin. Putting to death sexual sin. Look at verse 5 again. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So he said, put to death, therefore. He's, he's coming out of what he's talked about in the first four verses, and, and, and that's about who we are in Christ. We belong to a heavenly realm, and since that's who we are, we need to put to death things that are earthly 
in us, things that belong to our old sinful nature. And, and to put to death means to make it dead, to stop it completely. Uh, this week I listened to uh, John Owen's book, uh, Mortification of Sin, right? That's a pretty serious book about this whole topic, but, but it means to, to mortify it, put it to death, get, get rid of it completely. Specifically, Paul says that we must put to death sexual sins, and he lists five of them. Sexual immorality, which is, is a, a very general term for any kind of sexual sin. Put to death impurity, which refers to uh, moral corruption, but, it, but is often applied to sexual sins. Put to death passion, or lust, as the NIV translates that word, which is, again, a general term for a strong desire, but in the context here, it's, it's, a, it, it's sinful sexual desire. Put to death evil desire, which refers to, can refer to any kind of sinful desires, but in the context, again, it's talking about sinful, evil desires. Finally, Paul says put to death covetousness, which is, a, is an inappropriate longing desire for more and more. And, and given the fact that the, all the sins listed here are sexual sins, it's likely that he's talking about coveting of, of a sexual nature. Paul calls such coveting, coveting idolatry. And so if there's this, this longing for these kind of sexual sins to be the thing that we look for for satisfaction, then that's putting them in a place that belongs to God alone. Paul commands us to put to death all of these sexual sins because to pursue any of them is idolatry. Paul adds two clarifying statements about the sexual sins. He says, when, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And he says, in these you too once walked when you were living in them. And so how unthinkable it is that we as believers would continue to live in these sins because it's on account of these things that the wrath of God is coming. How unthinkable. Scripture tells us that the anger of God, which will come at the end of the ages, is coming because of these kinds of sins. So why would we want to walk in them, right? The Scripture tells us that as God's people, we will not experience this wrath. Romans 5.19 says that having been justified by Jesus' blood, we are saved from God's wrath. But Paul's point is, why would we walk and live in these kind of sins that merit God's wrath? It just doesn't make sense, right? He also says it doesn't make sense in the fact that, that these are what you walked in when you were living in them. And so basically what he's saying there, th these are part of your former life. You, you walked in them when you were alive to them, when you were living in them, but you no longer live in the earthly realm. You belong to a heavenly realm. So why would you continue to live and walk in these things that you no longer live in? They're part of your past life. They're not to be part of your new life in Christ. So put them to death. Put them to death. If Paul were to write a letter to the church in Manhattan, not just this church or the church in America, he would no doubt list all of these same sexual sins, right? I mean, sexual sin continues to be rampant in our culture and in the church. God has created us as sexual beings, and when sex is used as God intended within the confines of a committed love in marriage, it is a beautiful gift. But God's design has been so corrupted. And we're tempted to step outside of God's design for sex and pursue it in sinful ways. 
sex before marriage, adultery, entertaining lust in our minds, pornography. I mean, the list just goes on and on. This is, it's everywhere, right? We're to put all such things to death. And Paul is not just saying, what I want for you as the people of God is to be just a little bit better than the culture around you. It's not what he's saying, right? He's not just saying, I want you to kind of manage this sin, sort of keep it in a box, kind of keep it under control, and, and just keep it over there. He's not saying that. He's saying, put it to death, every bit of it. And we have to ask, are we doing that? Are we doing that? Are we actually mortifying sins of a sexual nature? Are we putting it to death? Or are we letting some sins linger? As we think about like, what we're exposing ourselves to through our phones, through our computers, TV, movies, are these things pure and holy or are they sexually impure? Are there any relationships, whether you're married or single, that are not sexually pure? If so, put it to death. Put these things to death. That's the command. At the end of this sermon, I'm going to talk a little bit about some, some application on, on how we put sin to death. But I want to say a couple of things about sexual sin, specifically. If you are struggling with sexual sin, there's usually a lot of shame attached to this. And, and there's shame attached to a lot of sin, but sometimes there's a unique kind of shame attached to sexual sin. And, and shame makes us want to hide. Uh, we we, we want to hide. And yet, if, if you hide, especially with this sin, uh, you're just not going to deal with it on your own. You do need help. And so one of the most important things if you're struggling with any kind of sexual sin is to be brave and to bring it out of the darkness into the light and, and tell somebody. Tell a friend. Tell a, you know, uh, tell me. Tell a, just, you know, tell someone. You have to bring it out into the light. Because if you think, I'm going to beat this myself, I'm going to you know, put to death my own sexual sin. I'm going to do it alone and no one's going to know. It just isn't how it typically works. We need help. We need each other. We need to bring it out into the light. And so be brave and tell someone. Men, I want to mention to, to you specifically, there's, a, there's groups that we do called Grace-Based Recovery. And uh, these are specifically dealing with kind of sexual sin issues. And so uh, there will be grace-based recovery groups again this fall. And so be aware of that. It's just one of the opportunities to be brave and to really come out and, and, and talk to someone about the things you're struggling with in this area. I want to say this to the younger people here, um, whoever, whoever you are, whoever sees yourself as young. <laughs> I'm young still. <laughs> You are growing up in a world where there's such easy access to all this kind of stuff. It's just everywhere. I mean, it's a different world than, than what I grew up in. It's everywhere. And you are curious, and you are interested, and that is just totally normal. And you have sexual desires, and that is good and normal. It is. So there's no shame in that. But to go down the road a pornography and lust and sex before marriage, it's going to be like the, the, the image that came to my mind this week. It'd be like inviting a massive termite colony to take up residence in a home. 
And what that termite colony does is it erodes the strength of the home from the inside out as it eats the, 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 the floor joists and the, and the boards, right? I mean, and, and that's what, when we invite sexual sin into our lives, that's kind of what it does. From the inside out, it will just sort of eat away at the strength of your character. I have no doubt that you 10 or 20, like your 20-year-old self, your 30-year-old self, your 40-year-old self will talk to you right now and say, oh, how I wished I would have stayed away from these sins. Oh, how I wished I would have not given in to this sin. Oh, how I wished I would have talked to someone right now because of the heartache and the pain that that sin has led to in my life. How that has led to, you know, just my marriage is just a little bit harder, how it made it harder to be close to people. There's all sorts of things that sexual sin will, will bring about in your life, destructive things that you can be spared from right now if you will stay away from it, if you will get help. And so young people, my encouragement to you as well is if you're struggling with this, talk to someone. Tell a parent, tell your group leader, tell someone. You are not alone, and you are not the only one struggling with this. There are a lot of people in this room that are struggling with this. But it just, uh, yeah, tell someone. God is a God of grace and mercy and forgiveness and restoration. So even if you've kind of gone down a road somewhere, uh, God wants to love on you and forgive you and, and, uh, and help you, okay? We must work out our true spiritual reality by putting to death sexual sins. Secondly, Paul says that we work out our true spiritual reality by putting away sins of attitude and speech. Look at verse eight. He says, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. To, to put it away means to, to totally get rid of it. it you know, it's, it's like, Taking the trash and not just moving it outside the kitchen and, and leaving it in the garage. It's getting it all the way to the dumpster. I'm actually getting rid of it. Why would you leave it in the garage, right? And so he's saying that about this. Get, get rid of it. Get it so it's out of your life. And in verse 5, then, he lists five verses or, or five sins. And before we talk about them, there's, a, there's an important interpretive question there. The, the last phrase says, from your mouth. And that phrase could actually be modifying every one of these five sins. In other words, put away anger, wrath, mouth, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Or it could just be modifying slander and obscene talk, which are the two words that are specifically speech, right? I think that's probably what it's modifying, but, but when you see the next verse is talking about not lying, I, I think Paul is talking about sins of speech in general here. And so even anger, wrath, malice, though they may be more hard attitudes, I think he has in view how they show up in our speech, okay? So it's particularly attitudes and, and speech, but things that lead to speech that he's addressing here. And so put away anger and wrath, uh, which are very similar. It's hard to kind of tease out the differences on these. Some believe that anger is more of a settled feeling where wrath is more of an outburst. Put them away. Put away malice, which is a disposition of wanting harm for another person. Put away slander and obscene talk. And, and slander is uh, blasphemy. It's usually we think about blasphemy against God, but uh, here it refers to speech that defames the character of another person. Put it away. Obscene talk probably refers to the kind of speech that we use when we're defaming someone's character. 
put all of these things away. Paul specifically, you know, I think in all of our relationships, he wants us to put these kind of things away, but, but he has in view, particularly in this section, our relationships in the body of Christ. These things are destructive to our relationships in the body of Christ. As we go on in verses 9 through 11, it's clear that Paul has in mind the, the, the body of Christ. In verse 9, he says, do not lie to one another. Which again, it's another sin of the tongue that needs to be put away. But the fact that he says it's to one another, he's talking about our, our mutual body, our relationships in the body of Christ. We must not lie to our brothers and sisters in Christ because lying is destructive to Christian community. In Ephesians 4.15, Paul says that it's through speaking the love, truth in love that we grow up into Christ. And so if, if, we're, if we're not honest, if we're not speaking the truth, if we lie, it is counterproductive to what God is wanting to do to see us grow up as a body of Christ. So we must put that away. Now the basis for this command to not lie to one another is what he says in the second half of verse 9 all the way through the end of verse 11. So he says, we must not lie to one another seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Typically, when we read this about the old self, new self, we, we read this individualistically. We think about just me as an individual, but I believe he's talking about us corporately, the, the, the old self and the new self, the corporate humanity in Christ. And so the old self would be humanity outside of Christ, those who belong to the old line of Adam. It's the unregenerated, ruled and dominated by sin. New self is this new humanity in Christ. It's who we are corporately as a regenerated people of God. And this new self, he says, we, we have put off the old self with its evil practices, and we are now being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So the new self is continually being renewed. This, who we are as a corporate family of God, we are being renewed in the knowledge about God so that we take on more and more of his character. In verse 11, Paul says this about the new self, and, and this is where it's most clear that he's talking about our, our corporate identity, because he says, here, there's not Greek or Jew, and you have to say, like, what, what does here refer to? What is that here pointing to? And, and it's, it's really clear that here refers to in the new self. It's who we are as this, this corporate identity, this, the, the, the body of Christ, here, as the new self, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. And so Paul puts all these uh, um, contrasts together here. So in, in this new self, there's not Greek and Jew, there's not Jews and then the non-Jewish people. And Circumcised, uncircumcised, in some ways is sort of repeating Greek and Jew, but I think he probably uses that because the false teachers were advocating for some identity markers, right? That, that there are certain things that the, the Colossians would do, and one of those was Col uh, circumcision. And he's saying, so there's not, in, in the New South, there's not circumcised and uncircumcised. Barbarian and Scythian, that these aren't contrasts, but they're probably examples of those who are uncircumcised. A barbarian was someone who, who didn't speak Greek. And so they were 
a foreigner, but it's particularly seen as an uncivilized foreigner. And, and a lot of people think Scythians, who were inhabitants north of the Black Sea, they were like extreme examples of barbarians. In the New South, there's not that. And he said there's not slave or free, which uh, those would point to social status, right? Paul says in this new corporate humanity, this new self brought about in Christ, there's no ethnic, class, cultural, or social distinctions. Rather, Christ is all and in all. Christ is all. He is the center of all. He is, he is the center of what matters. None of these other things matter. And the second phrase, and he is in all, and, and, in, and in all, refers to how Jesus brings about unity because he's the one who indwells all, regardless of racial, religious, cultural background. As you think about this desire that Paul has that, about the corporate body of Christ and, and the unity that's, that's important, as you think about these sins of attitude and speech, are there any that need to be put aside? As you think about your relationships in the body of Christ, is there any hard attitudes of anger or wrath or malice that need to be put aside? These things will come out in our speech. Is there any speech of, of a slanderous nature or abusive speech that comes from your tongue about others in the body of Christ? Put it aside, put it away. Is there any lying to others in the body of Christ? These attitudes of sin, of the heart, attitude, these, these sins of speech, they are destructive to the new humanity that God has brought into Existence. If you have any of this heart in your heart or on your tongue, Paul says we are to put them all aside. We work out our true spiritual reality as the one united body of Christ, putting to, putting to death these attitudes and sins of speech. I want to say just a couple of words about like how do we actually put these things to death? How do we actually lay them aside. And I think there's a lot of things, but, but these are mostly things that as we kind of understood what Paul said in Colossians that I want to mention. One is make a decisive decision to put sin to death. Make a decisive decision to put sin to death. You actually have to decide that you are going to do this. It's a command, right? It is a command. There's a need to respond to commands. Sometimes we want to hang on to some of these sins, whether it's sins of a sexual nature, whether it's some of these attitudes of the heart or speech. Sometimes we want to hang on to them. Sometimes we think just one more time, or sometimes we think, well, I'll just kind of manage it. I just, you know, it's not that bad. Or we, we actually receive something from these sins. We find some kind of pleasure, or, you know, I don't want to let, really get rid of my anger because I find that there's times where, like, through anger, I can kind of bully some situations and get my way, and so it's actually doing something for me. There's a reason sometimes we hang on to our sin. We, and so we have to actually decide that we're going to put these things to death. We cannot be passive about it. We need conviction in our hearts about these things. So how do we get to conviction about our sin? I, I think in, in large part it's by getting with God, it's sitting with God, it's being in His Word, it's, it's reading His Word and what it says about these, these things. It's 
praying with God. It's, it's asking God, God, give me your heart and mind about these things. It's asking God to give me, God, give me conviction so that I actually decide. Sometimes we just don't decide. We, we kind of want to keep our options open. We have to decisively decide to put sin to death. Secondly, remind yourself of your true spiritual reality. And that's part of what Paul's doing for the Colossians, right? And, and we need to do that. Day after day, as you're battling with sin, continue to remind yourself of who you truly are in Christ. You've been buried with him. You've been raised up with him spiritually. You're a new creation in Christ, seated in the heavenlies. Sometimes when we struggle with sin, we sometimes don't think these things are true, right? We believe our struggle with sin is more true than, than who we are in Christ. And, and yet it's not. And so we have to continually remind ourselves. That, you know, one day we will be revealed with him glorious. That's who we really are. We belong to heavenly realm. And so continue to remind yourself of who you truly are in Christ. Third, remind yourself of the ugliness of sin. Remind yourself of the ugliness of sin. Or maybe it's really not actually reminding. We just need to get clear about the ugliness of sin. Whatever sin you're dealing with was ugly enough that it merited God's wrath. Whatever sin you're dealing with, whatever sin I'm dealing with, was ugly enough it sent Jesus to the cross. And, and it's just good to remind ourselves of that. It's not like it's just a little mistake, a little error. It's offensive. It's ugly. And we, and we need to stay clear about that. Again, we need to ask God to help us see our sin from his perspective. The last thing I want to mention, and this is really, really important, is putting to death sin takes effort, but it's not self-effort. Putting to death sin takes effort, but it's not self-effort. Uh, we are not alone in this. The Spirit of God lives within us. This is something we do empowered by the Spirit of God. This is something we will only do empowered by the Spirit of God. One of the things that Paul's been doing in this letter is confronting these false teachers who were putting forward a kind of, uh, you know, self-effort, a religion of self-effort, rules about asceticism, rules about food, and do not drink and taste and touch, and, and rules about special religious days. And Paul said back in 2.23, these things are of no value against fleshly indulgence. And so it's not about effort. It's about effort empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God dwells within every believer, and Paul makes it very clear in many places that putting to death sin and growing spiritually is something we do in partnership with the Holy Spirit. For instance, in Galatians 5.16, Paul says, but I say walk in the Spirit, by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. So the only way we mortify sin, the only way we put it to death is through the power of the Spirit in our lives by faith and trust and looking to Him to do it. Now, we have a responsibility. Paul's given us a command. And so there's effort, but not self-effort. It's by the Spirit that we work out our true spiritual reality. As much as I wish that uh, my own transformation could happen with the you know, a princess kissing me or even throwing me against the wall like the Grimm's story. I'd take that too. And, and poof, I would just be different. That's not the way God has designed it. Uh, we will work this out day after day for our entire lives, putting to death sin, putting on godliness. 
This will continue for the duration of our lives on earth, but the end result is certain. We will be like Christ. And in that hope, we work out our true spiritual reality day by day. you pray with me? Father, thank you for this passage. And, and God, it's, yeah, it's always sobering to, to think about our sin, to think about how short we fall from what you've created us to be in Christ. Um, Father, we just we, we pray that, that we would really be honest with you about, about our sexual sin, about our sins of the heart, sins of the tongue, that we'd be honest with you about these things, that we would truly confess them, that we would repent of them, that we would seek to turn. God, we pray that, that we would trust the, the spirit within us and, and, and with your help, God, that we would truly uh, make gains and put into death sin in our lives. And God, may we do this together. Help us to be people that don't hide our sin, but that we would, as we walk with others, uh, that we would talk to each other about these things. We pray for each other about these things that we would see death, sin put to death in our lives, we might more and more reflect the character of Christ, who we truly have made to be, been made to be in Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.